Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. I'm Michael J. Sutton. This is episode 20 in our series, Freedom from Fear. Head in the clouds or seated in heaven? That's the topic for today. King Jesus is the enemy of national churches. That's pretty controversial. Jesus did not expect, desire or anticipate that his disciples would forge an alliance, maintain or align themselves with anyone other than himself. He is their Lord, their Master, their King. For many Western Christians, this contradicts the Christian fascism they celebrate and submit to, and thus there is a profound and unresolved contradiction at the heart of their faith. For many, the layers of racism, xenophobia, class culture, sexism, phobias and ageism must be stripped away before one even sees a slither of a Christian faith. And this is the problem. The genuine Christian is persecuted if he or she follows Jesus. The fake Christian rarely is persecuted because they're aligned with a national culture, politics or religion. Persecution is inevitable, said Jesus, and yet most Western Christians run to hide with the laws of the state and special privileges, arguing that friendship with the world is not only possible, but desirable and manageable. Yet in this alliance, compromises are made so that the Christianity that emerges is no longer one with Christ as Lord. Christians who try to assert the Lordship of Christ are derided as fanatics, extremists, fundamentalists, and the spreaders of fake news and misinformation people with their head in the clouds. Yet the Bible demands that we make a choice about heaven. Do we have our head in the clouds, or are we seated in heaven? In other words, is the belief in heaven, the return of Christ, and the eternal world having your head in the clouds, or is it having certainty that our seats are already in heaven, as Paul claims in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus. The politics of Christian fascism is based on fear. We have been considering the Christian politics, properly said to be the way Christians live in this world. This is important because to live without fear, or without unhelpful fear, the Christian must have a foundation and not be blown about by every wind of doctrine. Christian fascism celebrates Christian nationalism, the good old days the Christian heritage, traditional values, Christian values, and so on. None of them are Christian, and these hypocrites do more damage to the gospel and to the cause of God than anyone in the West. In fact, it would be better for the gospel if the West had no Christian heritage or no Christian traditions, as they so terribly hinder, frustrate, and undermine the work of evangelism. Christian fascism is about stoking the politics of fear and division. These fascists are often aligned with their counterparts in political and economic elites and have no interest in biblical Christianity. There are no hearts harder than those of a religious bigot or hypocrite. Nothing can budge them. The churches in the West are full of them. Jesus doesn't vote because he is the king. The Christian has their own politics with Christ as their Lord and their King. Jesus doesn't believe in democracy because he is the King of Kings. 
He doesn't align himself with our culture war, but he expects our obedience to him as this world is his. His name is above all names, even the names that are on our lips constantly. He has at least one advantage over everyone you place your trust in. God is eternal, and the ones you worship will die. They are simply flesh, and they will perish. In fact, they are perishing. There are five aspects to detoxifying manufactured political fear stoked by Christian fascism. They are part of the Christian's new identity by virtue of their union with Christ by faith. They are opposed to everything that the Christian fascist holds dear, and it's the reason why most churches will not touch any of these themes. If they do, they only address them in passing, and they will never address them directly. The Bible blows their political theology out of the water and sinks it as certainly and as decisively as the nemesis sank the Chinese fleet in the first opium war. Nemesis decimated the Chinese fleet. The word of God decimates Christian fascism. One cannon volley from the scriptures will destroy anything the fraudulent filth of Christian fascism will conjure with their master the devil in whose service they are dutifully employed. We have already looked at two of them. The biblical idea of the nations, what many people call the Gentiles and the nation of Israel. The nations have no destiny, no special purpose, no hidden plan in God's plan. They are the pool from which the many people who come to faith in Christ are drawn. There is no biblical mandate to save the nation or convert a nation or bring a nation to Christ. Those who want to save the nation are always Christian fascists. It always leads to the slaughterhouse and the end of Christian testimony to Christ. Nations are free to bring glory to God. That's God's gift to them. I can think of one nation at least who needs to be set free from the past and that lives in the past. God calls that nation and all nations, be free, be free. The second is free speech. We have shown that there is no such thing as free speech in the West and thankfully since laws and slander and libel and malicious gossip exist to punish Christians who want to destroy the reputations of people they don't like. God also exhorts us to be careful with what we say as the tongue is a terrible evil and capable of much destruction. We can come into the presence of God through faith in Christ and we can speak to God in confidence freedom of speech and boldness. This week we're considering the third aspect of this political identity and that is the citizenship of the Christian. It is not on earth with skin allegiance or paper ties but eternity with God and our home is heaven. This is heresy for the church as their ties are on earth in their buildings, their monuments and their churches. Next week we will look at the fourth aspect of this Christian politics to settle the Christian in the world in which they live. No Christian is to live with their head in the cloud. And indeed they cannot afford to, since Paul reminds us persecution is inevitable for the one who follows Christ. The fourth element of Christian politics is xenophobia, the beating heart of Christian fascism in the West. What is it with Christians and racism? For the Christian... There is an alternative kingdom to the kingdom of the nationalist fascists, and that's the kingdom of God. That is why so few Christians in, in church ever speak of the kingdom of God in the West, because it undermines their lifestyle. 
My kingdom, said our Lord Jesus Christ, my kingdom is not of this world. Paul exhorts us in Ephesians that we are through Christ made into one new humanity in the Saviour who broke down the wall of enmity that separates Jews and non-Jews in his body on the cross. There was no Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. All are one in Christ. Galatians 3.28 The final aspect, the fifth aspect that we're looking at, has to do with conflict. And that is, for the Christian, we have no earthly enemies. Indeed, war is pointless for the Christian. We do not, as Paul says, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So we are to rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ, reject the life that celebrates human efforts and achievements, embrace God's righteousness by faith, and accept the inevitability of suffering for the sake of following Jesus. This is hardly the prep talk for avoiding fear, right? If you knew that the path ahead was good, even though it would be difficult, would you still walk that path? Jesus told his disciples that before a house is built, the cost is determined to see whether it's worth going through with it. Many people who embark on the Christian life have not really thought it through. I can say with absolute certainty that every single baby sprinkled with water in baptism, every single one of them never thought it through. When Christianity became part of the state, the story changed, and it became a tension between nominal faith and genuine faith, between Christian fascism and authentic Christian witness. Then the question is, are we to live with our head in the clouds or seated in heaven? Are we to accept the Christian faith as a kind of idealistic fantasy, head in the clouds stuff? Or are we to accept the hard-nosed certainties of Paul that it's worth the danger? Because in the journey, we can truly know ourselves and the God who walks with us. I'll say that again. Is it worth the danger? Because in the journey of the Christian life, we can truly know ourselves and the God who walks with us by walking the path that God has set out for us. That is the view that we're seated in heaven. Certainly many people think that the Christians are ones who have inner peace, I've never really understood what inner peace was about, certainly from a Christian's point of view. I've spent much time in Asia and have many Buddhist friends whom I love dearly. Some are even priests. I hear many atheists talk about Christianity and they say that Christianity has the qualities they respect which fit into the norms of a modern secular society. It would be really sad if that were the case. I don't see any true compatibility between Christianity and the sterile, materialistic hedonism of the West. The atheists obviously mean Christian fascism. They love these guys. It's always interesting to see heads of state and political leaders line up to go to church on Sundays with with the fascists. I wonder why they bother, but we know the reason. It's about power and money. The path of the cross, the path of Jesus Christians follow, is about inner peace in the sense that we receive God's peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. But as Paul shows us, it's also one of inner irritation or inner frustration, not only inner peace. If inner peace is all that there is, inner peace is about staying still, reaching that happy place, finding one's balance. For the Christian, it's the opposite. It's the conflict, the inner turmoil that drives a Christian forward. 
It's not the lack of faith or the fear or the challenge of life, but it's the pursuit of the knowledge of God. Paul tries to explain this strange and seemingly contradictory view in Philippians 3, verses 12 to 17. Not that I've already obtained all of this, he says, or have, ever, have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if at some point you think differently, then God will make that clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. True faith, says Paul, forces us to move forward. It is our faith in Christ, our trust in him, our confidence in the work of Jesus on the cross that drives us forward. Faith in Christ does not lead us to settle down and be content with the accomplishment of God for bringing us from death to life. He gave us his spirit, and his spirit searches the deep things of God, and this spirit works in our hearts his purposes, which are to drive us to a deeper knowledge of God. It makes sense that the working out of this knowledge of Christ does not occur in church on Sunday or in the monastery cut off from the world, but in life, in ordinary life. True faith forces us to move forward in ordinary life. Church is a dead end for faith. Follow Jesus instead. I press on, says Paul. He moves forward. He does not go back. The back is the past. Yesterday, and it is done. He continually moves forward. He strains to go forward. He lunges forward. He presses onwards. All the language Paul uses have the idea of a destination and craving to reach that destination. What is that destination? Is it, is it a nice church where you can meet your friends every Sunday and talk about your week? How was your week? Or is it that Bible study where you drink nice coffee and gossip about people and open your Bible for a few minutes and then close it and go back to your lives? No, the destination for Paul and our destination is, he is heaven. Our destination is heaven. Why? Because we have membership there. Paul seeks heaven because he has membership there, and so do we. Paul does not seek heaven to get to heaven. He will get there. Paul has a seat reserved for him. Christ is waiting for him. Christians need to rediscover eternity and rediscover heaven and realize that what we have here is not all there is. Our home is heaven with Christ in God. Our destination is to be with Christ and we will all get there if we believe, but we need to keep moving forward. The Christian fascist, following their master Satan, keeps pulling us back to the past, to the traditions to the heritage, to the nice building and the political power. We are to say to these fascists, no. We are to throw off everything that entangles and the sin that so easily deceives and look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, verse 2. A number of years ago, a good friend of ours bought us tickets to a Japanese festival. It's one of the most popular festivals in the country. It's a traditional dance festival uh, in the island of um, Shikoku. Beautiful festival. One of the most amazing experiences I've had. We were given the tickets, but there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people there. And it took ages and ages to get through the throng of people to sit where we were supposed to sit. We were sitting right at the front. He was able to get us front row tickets, fantastic seats. Those tickets were ours. The seat was waiting for us. We just had to get there. It seemed to take forever. Everyone else was there for the festival as well, and they were going to where they were supposed to be seating as well, to their vantage points. We're all in this together. The point is, in the same way that we had those tickets and we had those seats waiting for us, it's the same way as heaven for Christians. If you believe in Christ as your Lord and Saviour, your citizenship is in heaven. You are seated in heaven. You have a seat waiting for you in heaven. You simply have to get there and push your way through life and through the challenges of life. And on that journey, you will grow in your knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. You will understand yourself better. You will understand him better. You are not trying to get into heaven in the sense that you want to buy those tickets. Those tickets have already been bought for you by Christ by his death on the cross for your sin. Those tickets are yours. Those seats are yours. It's just a matter of time. Like Christ, your membership, your citizenship is in heaven. You do not have your head in the clouds, but you are seated with Christ in God. It is the Christian fascist who is in trouble, eternal trouble. They have their head in the sand and their eyes closed to God and their hearts hardened to the Spirit. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can find out more about Freedom Matters Today if you go to our website, freedommatterstoday.com and subscribe to our daily blog to your inbox every morning. Please join me tomorrow for another episode of Freedom From Fear.